Ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. Listen to what I'm saying. That's right. Bring that camera in here a little bit closer. Through 93 years and four generations. The stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name, you will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Hey everybody, welcome in once again. It is David Summers hosting another Studcast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. It's the story of wrestling in America as told by the stud, whose family started the profession 100 years ago. Now we step back into the ring, back into time. Let's go to the Great Smoky Mountains with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. Hey, Ron, what's going on? Oh, yeah, man. Uh, just glad to be here, my man. Uh, beautiful day here today. Nice blue sky, uh, probably 50 degrees. No, uh, a little better than it has been. Uh, and uh, I think we talked a day or so ago about, uh, you know, one of the things that I've been putting up on YouTube, and one of them was a shot of the Smokies after – after I guess the last snow that came through here and wow, uh, beautiful, beautiful snow, man. Yeah. I got to tell you when I saw, I saw a couple of videos as a matter of fact, I think you shot a couple of that with that scenic background and I thought, where is he? And then immediately he was like, wow, okay, that's the Smokies, but covered with snow. So it was kind of crazy looking behind you, but, but man, what a view. So you've been out doing, doing a little riding around. Oh yeah, man. Uh, yeah, I try to get out, man. Uh, especially when it snows. Uh, hadn't been twenty years in Florida. You know, <laughs> seeing a little snow is a nice thing, and mm-hmm. I, and uh, and this is such a, a varied part of the country, man. So especially considering the mountains, anything anywhere from two thousand to seven thousand feet, and you know, so they all change. Everything changes constantly. The views are different every day. Do your ears pop when you go up into the mountains? Does, can Sometimes, you, yeah, yeah. We see, got some that yeah. are that'll do that. You know, yeah. there's pretty steep grades, and <laughs> uh, yeah, you get the ear popping and stuff. Uh, but the beauty of it is just amazing. I mean, that that shot, the talk, one you're talking about, this on YouTube. Yeah, uh, kind of looked like the Smokies, and I mean, like the Rockies. Like, in yeah, way, you know? exactly. I mean, that enough snow on the top of those mountains made it look like they were a lot taller than what they really are, but. uh, it's just, it's been an experience, my man, and, uh, you know, just uh, trying to enjoy it. Hey, I think it's cool that you have an opportunity to get out and kind of explore and do some checking checking out. You, I mean, it's not like you have in the past have had a lot of time. You always stay very busy, and even today. But it's, uh, it's kind of cool to get out and really explore a little bit around that beautiful part of the country. Yep. Yeah, man. Well, that's what I came up here for, and uh, I'm going to take advantage of it. Good for you. Hey, listen, as soon as I saw the title of this stud cast, number 236, it's called Buddy Sent to the Hospital. I was very concerned. 
because I don't know exactly how old your father was in 1978, but his getting back into the ring in this episode was maybe not a good idea. So I'm very curious about what happened and how he ended up in the hospital. Well, you know, uh, my dad was uh, 51 years old when this six-man tag took place on February 5th, 1978. Uh, he had had a back surgery uh, from an old ring injury in the early 1970s. He had this surgery, and uh, his last match was probably about three years before this match. And it happened to be a six-man tag, too. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in this program. So, you know, he always thought, you know, my dad, that he was pretty much invincible, man, that thought he could wrestle forever, you know, and uh, if he wanted to, that was his deal. Well, you know, if I want to do it, I can do it, you know. <laughs> so, you know, and Rob and I were a little concerned when he had asked to be at the ringside as a manager in last week's uh, championship match. Uh, and then after that match, uh, you know, uh, when what had happened, he demanded to be in the ring. For this week's match, he says, I want to be in there. Let's just have a six-man tag. So the, <laughs> the match we're going to be talking about in this stud cast, you know, uh, like I said, he hadn't been in the ring since 1975. We're talking about 1978. And uh, the last match in 1975 was against the Australian team that was a big name in Memphis, man. Uh, Bill Dundee, guy named George Barnes, and another Aussie named Johnny Gray. And uh, the three of us, my dad uh, and my brother and I, we took them on. And, uh, wow, it was one of the wildest tag matches <laughs> out there. We'll talk a little bit more about that one, too, as this one goes on. And, in fact, uh, I'm going to give everybody the YouTube YouTube uh, coordinates here where they can they can hook up and see that, that six-man tag. Because cool. the one we're about to talk about today was just as wild and, I think, actually wilder than that one. <laughs> All right, so judging from the title of this studcast, something pretty bad happened to send your dad to the hospital. So we're going to be hearing about that later for sure. But let's begin today by talking about something really good. Your Southeastern Rewind channel on YouTube aired something entirely new this past Sunday. In place of the 23-23 USA TV wrestling shows already on Southeastern Rewind, you ran a classic film never before seen on YouTube. I saw it, but I'm kind of interested in your reaction on that whole thing. Well, you know, uh, it was, it was really, really an amazing piece. It was short, you know, uh, it was a NWA non-sanctioned lights out match between my <clears> brother, <throat> Robert and Don Carson. Yeah. It, it took place on January the 18th, 1976. It was so far back. It was originally shot on film. Uh, back in those days, they weren't shooting on videotape, you know, and I uh, didn't even know what tape was hardly, you know. So, uh, you know, in, uh, it was uh, it was kind of short, like I said, uh, but uh, it wasn't uh, the match. Man, the match was just, wow, uh, the fans and everything else was what was great about it. And, you know, uh, at the end of the match, uh, it was short because that was match was uh, made and the, the film was done so that we could show it back on the TV the following week. And we don't want to show all the match. So we cut those matches down considerably to mm -hmm. kind of the end of the match. So this one got cut down to where it's uh, fairly short, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and especially, uh, you know, it's going to be on the TV the Saturday after it was shot. And, uh, 
it's but it's really a phenomenal piece uh fans reaction to it has been great since it went on southeastern uh rewind last week and uh they really loved it man and it, it's kind of just the beginning of all this uh, uh there's more to come every sunday uh, and all these are going to be called Southeastern Classics. Now, we the USA TV shows, all 23 of them are already on there. Mm-hmm. And we're getting ready to start to put Southeastern on sometime in the future. But I want to wait until I get s- as many of those tapes as I can to mm-hmm. go as far back as we can so that I can play them in order. So uh, as best I possibly can. Hey, listen. And, uh, wow. That's going to be amazing when that stuff starts. Oh, for sure. Sh- for sure. I was amazed at the size of the crowd. Even though there was no sound, you could kind of feel the excitement in the crowd just by watching them. I thought that was really great stuff, Stud. All right. So your number of subscribers continues to grow every day on what is now being called the best old school YouTube wrestling channel out there. The schedule now is every Tuesday, a new Stud Stories episode Wednesdays, we add a new stud cast just like this one. And every Thursday, we feature a new, a fantastic new continental TV show. And those continental TV shows are still growing in popularity. You've said your goal is to have something new for every day of the week. So how's that? How's that coming? I I mean, I think you're getting really close. Well, uh, you know, we're getting some things now that uh, we're just shooting some of these uh, short things uh, on and throwing them onto YouTube, uh, uh, like the one that you talked about that had the Smokies in the background over the snow on the mountain. Uh, You know, we're just going to try to uh, try to entertain fans and give them something different. And, uh, and, you know, that's kind of what I see in the future. I have lots of ideas, man, Uh, just like every booker has uh, ways of uh, making fans happy by doing uh, things that they don't expect, you know? So I'm just beginning in that process, really, in the Southeastern Rewind. It's kind of like Southeastern Wrestling was in 1974. It's just getting started. (laughs) I'm going to end up doing things in Southeastern Wrestling that I never dreamed of. And and I think the same thing's hopefully going to happen for Southeastern Rewind. Oh, for sure. And speaking of just beginning, I can't wait to hear what happened to your dad in the six-man tag match on this very episode. So let's get these horses moving. What do you say? Where are we riding today, Stud? Okay, well, we're going to begin with another today's training, uh, as we usually do, and as the owner of a new territory that had a former owner uh, that had stopped producing TV shows two weeks after the sale, you know, and, and I had sent him his down payment, basically. He decided that he's not going to produce any more shows. And I really expected that was going to happen, but I didn't expect it might happen that soon. And uh, so I had to come up with a pretty much a unique idea to cover TVs down there where I don't have any wrestlers and I don't have any TVs that are set up for production. So, um, I had, like I say, had to come up with a unique idea. And in January 1978, the old Gulf Coast Territory was gone. Basically, I had bought it out. I wasn't going to keep the name, but I couldn't afford to lose the TV stations that were not going to have any programming. They're not going to keep the show, hold it for me if I don't keep sending them wrestling programs. So uh, we're going to find out today what I did to solve that problem. And uh, and in this one, we're going to focus on the Southeastern Knoxville Coliseum show of February 5th, 1978. Uh, obviously, we'll do uh, kind of like similarly. We're going to talk about that card. We'll talk about the TV that promoted it. And we'll uh, give Babe 
the people results of the Coliseum matches, and we're going to have the attendance for everybody. And our learning tree question for today is another good one. Uh, and it probably comes from the recent presentation I made to get on Mobile, Alabama's WKRG TV station. Now, I think this, the fan got this question from that listening to that studcast. And the fan asked, when making presentations to TV stations and other media, did you get questions that forced you to break kayfabe? Meaning having to let, let them know that you were not only the owner, but a wrestler. <laughs> Something you said you wanted to hide. So uh, how did you handle that? Guys. So uh, that's going to be uh, the ending of our show today. And uh, wow, I think this is going to be a great one. Uh, there's a, there's there's an event that happens in this one that uh, is pretty chilling for everybody in the Coliseum. Okay, so you're going to make us wait for some stuff. Good move, stud. Okay. All right. So what an interesting stud cast this and this one should be, especially when you add your father getting hurt to all this. So let's talk TV production as it related to the old Gulf Coast territory. Okay, so that's where we begin today with today's training. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, Lee Fields, who was the former owner of Gulf Coast, he stopped producing TV shows about two weeks after I paid him the down payment for the territory. And I'd kind of loaded up southeastern Knoxville with talent on purpose because I anticipated having to do maybe a couple of TV shows to send down there, but not as many as I was going to have to. But so I had already started that process of adding new talent on the cards, much bigger cards than what we had been having. And uh, I was planning to do mostly uh, extra TV each Saturday, immediately following the, the normal Southeastern show. Fans just hung around for another hour and they got to see another TV show. So fans didn't mind staying for it. Obviously, uh, they were Oh man, those were those people that came to the TV studio were real fans, man. They, I think they would have watched five shows if you had to give it to them, you know. And so they didn't mind staying after the show, especially since it featured other wrestlers than the Southeastern Stars. So uh, Les was doing the commentary on these shows for Southeastern Pensacola, even though he wasn't going to be seen down there at Southeastern Pensacola once. Once they started, uh, we actually went down there and opened up the territory. So we didn't use the side of the set because we had this three-sided wonderful set for Southeastern. And we didn't use the side of the set where the word Southeastern was on it and where the photos of the wrestlers was on it. We used the chroma key background side, which was just a deep blue color. And we projected on top of that the Gulf Coast uh, set photo that we had. And uh, because it was a chroma key background, the fans sitting in the studio, all they could see was just a blue background. Looked like a plain background. But once that the TV was recorded, uh, then they, with that chroma key background, it, there was a set behind Les Thatcher that had Gulf Coast wrestling on it, the exact set that Gulf Coast had. So uh, the fans in the studio never saw that it was Gulf Coast wrestling that they were watching. You know, and, uh, and uh, you know, we got it when we got it sent out to Alabama stations. Obviously, they, they just said, well, hey, this is the same stuff that we've been getting. So down in the southeastern Pensacola Territory, uh, the TV shows, the entire set was what the fans in that part of the country were accustomed to. So it wasn't a big change for them. 
and uh, and it started working out to be really good. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to start calling that Southeastern down there. I didn't want to just jump in there, change the name over to Southeastern. I wanted to establish ourselves down there a little bit to start to get some success uh, and then uh, then pop that Southeastern on them. So when we opened up down there, which is going to be March 3rd, 1978. So we're only talking, man, about three weeks from where we are now. Mm-hmm. The TV set behind Charlie Platt who was the Southeastern Pensacola commentator, not less, but obviously we had Charlie Platt, who was a great commentator. Yeah. And, uh, and he had, he was sitting there. Uh, he's going to be sitting there with the same old Gulf coast set. So, uh, you know, hmm. we're kind of ready. <laughs> All right. So how about the talent, the wrestlers? Did you call them talent? Did you call them wrestlers? What'd you call them? Well, I call them talent, you know, but uh, obviously they are wrestlers. And, uh, you know, uh, every most promoters call their talent. Their crew is the, you know, uh, is the, that's a good way to to, to uh, speak of them. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, I had some great, I had a pretty good crew going in there. The second TV show each Saturday in Knoxville, mm-hmm. like I said, we'd make the Southeastern show. Then we'd, uh, fans would go and take a break. And uh, 15 minutes later, we'd start a second show. <laughs> and uh, these uh, these Saturday shows, the second ones were featured wins uh, by the future Southeastern Pensacola stars. The guys that were going to be headed down there about six weeks after the first one of these we did, we still we started doing them about six weeks before we went down there. But this, uh, the these these TVs are going to show stars uh, down there. You know, they're not going to have anybody from the Knoxville shows on there. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, anyway, the guys that we're going to be seeing a lot of was David Schultz, uh, Tony Charles, huh. Roy Lee Welch, Mike Stallings, Eddie Mansfield. Reuben Gibson, that's Robert Gibson, a rock and roll fan. Yeah. Uh, there's a there's going to be in a future assassin team down there, Randy Colley and Roger Smith, as they were known on Knoxville cards. They're working on all these Knoxville cards and spending the weekend to do these TVs and everything so that we're all coordinated and ready to go down there. And they're all on these shows. Besides those guys, I had a guy named Rip Tyler who's going to be the assassin future manager. And uh, Eddie Sullivan, those two guys were from down there in that part of the country. They were already recognizable heels there, uh, pretty pretty over, good guys. Hmm. And uh, and I had them drive north, man, uh, to Knoxville and back a thousand miles every weekend. They would travel up and work Friday and Saturday and Sunday uh, if they if I could get them something. Hmm. And, uh, you know, they, they, they had, they're all going to be seen on Southeastern Pensacola TVs. So, so we got a lot going on, man, in that time of year. And, uh, wow, it, it was, it was busy. So like from Pensacola to Knoxville, is that where you're talking about like 500 miles one way? Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yep. And, and how, how, how quickly would they turn around and come back? Oh, uh, they would, they would come in usually on a Friday. Uh, sometimes they would come in on a Friday because we'd be running the town up there somewhere around Knoxville. Right. right. I would try to get them on to a show. Yeah. Uh, get them a little extra money. Then they would work the TV on Saturdays. Sometimes they'd work two TVs. Yeah. Uh, you know, they'd so, work the first TV and uh, they, they got beat, you know, but then on that second TV where they're going to be stars, they, they won, you know, yeah. they, they look good. So, you know, they got that Saturday and then I could keep them on Sunday. In fact, 
they're they're going to be one of them going to be on this card that we'll mm-hmm. be talking about today. And see, I, I I knew I had no idea how difficult really getting southeastern Pensacola started was. So it was not it was not just a pushover easy idea. Oh. <laughs> No, man, uh, that, that's just the TV part of it, you know, setting right. up a second show yeah. and coordinating all of that, uh, you know. Uh, actually, I'm going to work much harder in 1978 than any year in my entire 18-year wrestling career. This new territory, this second territory, it's going to test my resolve, man, to expand my company. I'm going to question myself quite a few times about, wow, what have you done? You know, yeah. So, so it was, it was, it was tough. Uh, 1978 was a busy year for me. So these today's trainings are really like everything else on the Studcast run. They're getting better and better, no doubt. So what was the card in Knoxville Coliseum Sunday afternoon? I think it was February 5th, 1978. What was it like? Well, it was another loaded one, Dave. Uh, you know, uh, Eddie Mansfield. Eddie Mansfield uh, opened up the afternoon against Reuben Gibson. Uh, and, uh, you know, fans uh, will probably re- recognize Reuben, uh, like I said earlier, a lot better as Robert Gibson. You know, he's going to be a future superstar tag team partner, Ricky Morton. And together, those two boys are going to build one of the most famous tag teams of all time, man, the yeah. Rock and Roll Express. Yeah. So these two guys, both of them, are headed to, headed to southeastern Pensacola. That's the opening match for Knoxville. Tony Charles took on Rip Tyler, who I mentioned earlier in today's training just a minute ago about traveling from Alabama to get there. He's going to manage the Assassins, uh, and he'll be doing that second show on Saturday as the manager of the Assassins uh, before they're going to take off, and they are going, the two Assassins and him are going to be uh, uh, stars in that southeastern Pensacola. A special event was next on that card, a rare single match for Gorgeous George Jr., which he didn't wrestle very often. And he's going to be wrestling against the popular Mike Stallings, who is going to Pensacola. And then back-to-back tag matches on this card. This is really unusual. Jimmy Golden and Ricky Gibson are going to wrestle against David Schultz and Randy Colley. And Colley is one of the assassins that's going to be going south to Pensacola. And another interesting thing I might mention here that I don't think I've ever mentioned previously is uh, people that have been watching those USA Today, the TV shows, uh, that's Ron Wright's dog, man. Randy Colley is uh, <laughs> Ron Wright's dog uh, on USA TV shows uh, that are now on Southeastern Rewind. <laughs> are you kidding? I mean, those USA TV shows were made. 10 years after this match in Southeastern. Amazing the history some wrestlers had working for you. So who was in the second match, Dud? Well, Joe LaDuke was uh, reunited with Roy Welch. They had been partners for several matches. They had a string of matches in which these guys were just united. They're great friends anyway. And they're going to take on Ronnie Garvin and the Hangman. The Hangman was Roger Smith. He's going to be the second assassin headed to Southeastern Pensacola. Then after two tag matches back-to-back, then there's the Southeastern Championship match with the Mongolian Stomper managed by Gorgeous George Jr. against the man who had his first shot at the title since his arrival. And uh, I'm talking about Thunderbolt Patterson, a tremendous wrestler, a tremendous star. 
uh, around the country, wherever he went. So, and then after all those matches, the last match is going to be six guys in the ring. It's going to be the main event six-man tag, Carson, the assassin, and Ron Wright taking on Robert Fuller, uh, Buddy Fuller, and the Tennessee Stud. Eight matches, 23 wrestlers, and all on that card. Hey, that's a fantastic card right there. I mean, if I'm correct, Stud, February was also a TV rating month. So what happened on TV the day before these matches in the Coliseum? Man, you're on top of your game, Dave. I mean, I'm proud of you, man. <laughs> Keeping up with the TV ratings. <laughs> Thanks yeah. for noticing. <laughs> so you ain't missing the thing. <laughs> Thank you. Know? you. <laughs> yeah, and you're you're right on, man. Uh, February is a rating month, a, t- a TV rating month. Always was, and uh, this first TV in that important month uh, was going to be open with a six man tag. It's going to have a Southeastern TV championship match for the TV trophy with the Mongolian Stomper defending the trophy against Mike Stallings. And it's going to end with another six-man tag with Robert Fuller, Buddy Fuller, and the Tennessee Stud. So after Les ran down the card like we usually started it off, he was sitting there with Ron Wright. Don Carson, the assassin, was standing behind him. And uh, the still shot on the set was a picture a Buddy Fuller sitting on top of Ron Wright, choking the hell out of him. You know, Wright didn't wait unless to ask him ask him about the photo either. He tore right into the subject, man. He started on Don Curtis, who was the Southeastern Commissioner that we uh, talked about and that we uh, find brought on in the last uh, studcast. And he talked about the, the him being there the last week. Uh, the Tom Curtis, and they brought in the commissioner, and he started off with how the commissioner had made a mess already out of what his men uh, standing behind him had accomplished, and he screamed at last, just look at what is happening in that picture. <laughs> you know, his dad was joking him. He says, Buddy Fuller, he says, he's a manager. He don't have a license to be a manager, and he said he shouldn't even be in the building, and, the, and he's a choking, a fine gentleman like me. Imagine Ron Wright calling himself a fine gentleman. <laughs> and the studio, you know, they lit yeah. up with laughter, man. And then Carson and the assassin sh- shouted out for the studio to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> so right away, man, we're getting off to a good start. So Wright discontinued, man, right on like he didn't even hear the studio. <laughs> and, uh, and he just screams what Les should ask for. He says, run the video, run that video. <laughs> So, you know, Les, the way he was, he didn't much like that. So he kind of broke in, man. He, he trying to get control. And he started by saying to Ron something about, you know, you're not going to have your way, man, or your say without calming down here, man. You know, so And the video had already started rolling because Wright had ordered it to happen. And, uh, and boy, it wasn't just a video rolling. So it was old Ron Wright rolling, man. And he, he started in on Les. He said, look at this, Les, the hatchery screen. Where is that Don Carson now? You know, and it's dad still got him. <laughs> once the once the film starts running, it shows uh, Robert and and the stud are already on the outside of the ring, fighting with Carson and the assassin. And the, the bell had already rung. Things were pretty much out of control. This <laughs> match had been stopped, and Dad's just supposed to be a manager. Well, Dad's in the ring and he's dressed in street clothes. Naturally, he's is a manager. 
And he just jerks old Ron right up after choking him, throws him over the top rope, and then he got out of the ring, started putting the boots to him, man, on the Coliseum floor. Right? <laughs> so when Ron Wright screaming, Les is going, where's that commissioner now? <laughs> so Les tried to break in. But right, boy, he couldn't be stopped. Man, once Ron got to going, man, <laughs> he really got it cranked. So, and then Carson and the assassin, they urged him on, man. You know, so Wright took over again, man. And he started off, you know, we're like, Les Thatcher, we, we done lost our beloved tag belts, as <laughs> he called everything his beloved. <laughs> he said, one of the men wearing it now should not even be here in Southeastern. He goes, Ron Footer lost to lose a lead match. And he's now back here wearing a mask, calling himself the Tennessee stud. So and he says, everybody around here knows that's Ron Fuller. Look at him. <laughs> How many guys look like Ron Fuller? How many guys are that tall? Six, nine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, you know, and then he says, you know, and he says, now Southeastern wants to make me get in the ring with that crazy old man, Buddy Fuller. You know, look what he's done to me. And it was still going on. Dad's still putting the boots to him. All this conversation, Dad's just kicking the hell out of him on the floor. So the studio exploded, <laughs> man. They loved what they were saying, you know. So Ron, man, he, he began gasping for breath, man. And he started screaming out in spurts, man, like an old time preacher, man. <laughs> He's sucking in so he can throw it out another line. And Carson, the assassin, man, they just leaned in and started adding to it, man. Suddenly all three of them, they're all talking over each other. So Ron finally finishes up for him and he says, you know, he says, they're done. They're done. They done opened the door now, Les Thatcher. He said, they's done asked for it. Now, somebody's going to get hurt, and it ain't going to be one of us. And he said, we want our belts back, and we want to be in charge again. And we're going to be in charge again. <laughs> and then he jumped up, and the three of them headed for the ring during the first match. And there was ring announcer, <laughs> Phil Rainey, and they're introducing their opponents. And they didn't even wait to give him a chance to finish it. All three of them attacked the three guys in the ring, and they never got out on the apron like for a regular tag, or he made an attempt to act if this was a regular six-man tag. And uh, they just kept pounding on the three guys that they had in there in about five minutes or a little bit more maybe. Uh, it was all over. You know, they got their hands raised, uh, mm -hmm. and there was three bodies laying in the ring, you know. And then when they went back past the set on the way to the dressing room, Ron Wright screamed at Les, and you could hear all this type of stuff. Um, he, you know, he says, uh, why don't you send a copy of this match to the Southeastern Commissioner Thatcher? You know, so. <laughs> they were having a big time, man, but boy, they were a little hot about it, the way things had been going now. They got a new commissioner. Dude, you you have brought Ron Wright back to life. Man, that is a great first segment for the February rating period. So it sounds like it really off to a really big start. Well, it wasn't over yet, man. I mean, so they went back to the set for the first interview. And they had the entire two minutes. We didn't split the interview. So uh, Carson and the assassin, they took most of this two minutes. And uh, they focused on the fact that someone was going to get hurt real bad in the Coliseum the next day. That we're serious now, you know, new commissioner and all these changes. And and Wright finished up by telling Les that Southeastern, they picked the wrong guy, he said, to speak for him, that nobody 
from another state. No damn commissioner. I think he saw the damn. He throws the damn in there. Got by the, no damn commissioner is going to tell me what to do. He said, this is this has always been my part of the country. He says, I've always ruled it, and that, by gosh, is never going to change. So <laughs> it was a nice first segment, man. <laughs> Ron Wright and them. Wow. It was good. So Thunderbolt Patterson, man, uh, you know, he, he changed things in the studio right away. The tone really changed dramatically. Uh, he he was in the second match, and fans really had fallen in love with Thunderbolt. Uh, he, he had made tremendous interviews, but even more, he's, he's had a, tr- a unique style in the ring. Nobody wrestled like Thunderbolt. And, uh, and he had all these stances he would do in the ring. Sometimes he looked almost, well, it was, it was, it was crazy how he could contort his body. You know, it was like, and uh, mm-hmm. nobody wrestled his style. So mm-hmm. he gave them plenty to like, man. And in one of his rare TV matches, he hadn't been on a lot of TV matches. Mm-hmm. So he went and joined Les at the set for the interview after the second match. Uh, now, along with Joe LaDuke and Roy Lee Welch were there. And Thunderbolt had his first Southeastern Championship match, and uh, LaDuke and Roy's match the next day was against Garvin and the Hangman. And Thunderbolt, man, liked to tell stories in his interviews, and he told a story about how he was hurt by the Stomper many years ago, long before Gorgeous George Jr. was his manager. He threw that in there, and that... Uh, this was his opportunity now to get even, to kill two birds with one stone. He mm-hmm. said something about the two <laughs> birds with one stone. And uh, now he was going to get even with the Mongolian stomper for his injury. And he's going to do something even worse to him. He's going to take the Mongols' belt from him, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so LeDuc uh, uh, got his shot, and uh, right off the bat, he congratulated Roy for having two matches in two weeks, back to back against Ronnie Garvin, and he had not been beat. You know, and uh, you know, Roy was like, "Well, thank you very much, Joe." And uh, <laughs> they were partners again. They were great friends, and uh, wow, they were really looking forward to the match the next day against Garvin and the Hangman. Wow, yeah, I can certainly see why. Hey, I tell you what, this is a good place for a break, so let's do that. We'll be back with Buddy Fuller, Robert Fuller, and the Tennessee Stud for the personality profile. But while we take the break, remember to find Southeastern Rewind on YouTube, subscribe, ring the bell to get reminders of when the greatest stories in wrestling will be dropped on YouTube. Then we'll ring your bell to let you know every time. And be sure to tell your friends about Southeastern Rewind. All right, this studcast will continue right here. Stay with us. One of Ron's biggest accomplishments is becoming an author. No, not a wrestling book, but a spellbinding thriller of an event that could actually happen. Find it at Amazon, Brutus Novel, or TNStud.com. Click on Stud Store. A man-eating lion is tragically shipped to an American zoo on the edge of the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. It escapes into the most visited park in the USA. Men from three continents combine their efforts to 
kill Brutus, the beast that becomes the most infamous lion in history. It has more than 50 five-star reviews. Many of those reviews compare it to Jaws. Some say better than Jaws. Get the autographed copy at tnstud.com. Click Stud Store. See Brutus. Only $29.99 free shipping or Amazon Brutus novel. It does for the mountains what Jaws did for the ocean. Hey, welcome back once again. It's another Studcast. This is episode number 236. David Summers with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. Okay, so Ron, my guess is this may have been your first time to do a profile with Robert and your father. Yeah, it is. You know, uh, uh, and, and it felt really good. You know, I uh, Profile was a really unusual thing. A lot of shows. Well, I don't think any other wrestling show in the country had a personality profile. And uh, this one is pretty much everything a personality profile was meant to be when Les Thatcher and I sat and, and talked about what we wanted to do that ne had never been done before. And this one was definitely a family affair. Uh, and Les hit Led Buddy. Uh, you know, perfectly on a short ride through raising two sons that had both followed in their father and their grandfather's footsteps. And uh, Buddy gave fans a little history about the other family members. Uh, he talked about Jimmy Golden and Roy Lee Welch that were also wrestling in Southeastern at the same time. So it, it was a really in a family affair. It went beyond just the three of us. Uh, Les kind of closed it out with a video of a classic six-man tag match from Memphis mentioned earlier in the stud cast. And it was a very similar to what was going to happen the next afternoon in Knoxville, by golly, in the Coliseum. You know, a crazy, crazy wild match. And that's uh, going to be even wilder in the Coliseum the next day. And if fans would like to see this match for themselves uh, through the magic of YouTube, you know, uh, <laughs> I guess you go to YouTube and you search Ron Fuller. Robert Fuller and Buddy Fuller versus Bill Dundee, George Barnes, and Johnny Gray. I don't think you have to put all those names in there, and they'll bring it up for you, hmm. you know. And uh, I, I really recommend you go and see it because it's a, <laughs> it's crazy, <laughs> you know. And the and the Lance Russell, who was a great commentator in Memphis, he's like, <laughs> wow, this is wild. Wow. wow, never seen anything quite like it. All right, did you did you produce this one as a stud story? Uh, no, no, no. This one is not going to be. I'm not going to be able to show it on YouTube because someone else has the rights ah, to it. Wow. Okay, that's crazy. Because uh, I was I yeah. didn't produce it. It was yeah. it was shot in Memphis. Okay, and, uh, right. I don't have yeah. the rights to it. Yeah. See, when you uh, mentioned Lance, I mean uh, that that should have uh, triggered. But but that's uh, that's amazing because that's you and your brother and your father in that. So, I mean. But still, that's a great idea, and I'm going to do that myself as soon as we finish recording. I can't wait to see the three of you in action at the same time. Who was so the third match of this really incredible card for Southeastern TV, February 4th of 78? What you got? Well, I got the Stomper, man. The Stomper, Stomper is <laughs> going to be defending his Southeastern Championship trophy against Mike Stallings. It's the one he won from me. The day that I lost the loser leave and left, he became both the Southeastern champion and the Southeastern television champion. So he's defending it on this show. Uh, first 
first February show, uh, rating period show of 1978. And it was a great match, this match between Stallings and the Stomper. And Stallings, man, had become a great worker, man. And uh, he's going to go to Pensacola and be a star down there. You know, and he's not going to be a star here today, though, <laughs> this one. However, you know, Gorgeous George Jr., oddly enough, was scheduled to wrestle uh, in a rare TV match the next day against Mike Stallings. So on this day, Gigi is, uh, you know, since he's got to wrestle against Stallings the next day, I guess he's trying to get the Stallings uh, hurt a little bit before he gets there. And uh, so he's kind of responsible for Stallings getting beat on this TV match and Stallings really takes it to the stomper and he's kicking some butt in the end of this and uh, he gets shot into the ropes and when he does the referee is behind the behind the stomper can't see Gigi reaches in and snatches Mike's foot and Stallings goes down hard man face first face was the first thing hit the mat had a big mat burn on his cheek after after the match and the mongolian stomper man he just went right straight to the ropes and he came back with one of those big stomps to the head and uh when they showed the replay of it it looked like it crushed his skull man (laughs) god just wow he ain't gonna get up and he didn't (laughs) but you know it took mike a while to get up after that you know so then the stomper and gorgeous george jr ronnie garvin and the hangman they all went to the set after the replay and everything and uh gg jumped right away on the fact that mike stallings who was his opponent for the next day says i don't wrestle often but when i do i leave him laying and uh, he goes, I left one laying already. You know, he said, he's a clumsy boy. <laughs> Did you see him trip and fall on his face? <laughs> you know, he, was, he was having a good time. Gigi was enjoying it. And, you know, and then he says, uh, you know, tomorrow, that Thunderbolt Patterson, he's going to fall on his face too. And he says, the Stomper's <laughs> going to do the same thing to him that he did way back when Thunderbolt brought up that time he got hurt big time. And he goes, he's going to put him in the hospital. He goes way back. He put him in the hospital for a couple of days. But, you know, he says, this time I think we're going to shoot for a whole week. <laughs> put him in the hospital for a week. So then it became Garvin and the hangman's turn. Well, Garvin did all the talking. The hangman didn't say anything. He had a, the odd black mask that he wore that didn't really fit around his chin. He really looked like a hangman. It was a hangman's hood. Hmm. And he said he wasn't. Garvin got right into Roy Lee. He said, you know, I'm not through with Roy Lee Welch. And, uh, you know, he says, and I don't care if he's partners with Joe LaDuke. He said, Joe LaDuke uh, is not going to keep me from hurting Roy Lee Welch. And he goes, (laughs) my intention is to hurt this boy. And that's what I'm going to do. So the last match was another six-man tag. And uh, studio erupted when me and um, the Tennessee stud, uh, Robert and Buddy uh, all came into the studio. And unlike the first six-man tag that was in the show, this one had a normal six-man tag match set up. Uh, we got out on the apron, the bell was rung, and we officially had a regular tag match. And uh, and so my dad got the win with uh, his, his famous uh, fuller leg lock. And, and wow, he was so good at it. It was beautiful to watch. It was incredible because it was such a difficult hold to do. Uh, that's why nobody else ever did it. Uh, they could not do it. It was so difficult. So uh, all three of us joined Les at the set. 
And uh, like Ron Wright, Carson, and the Assassin did in the first match, we got the entire two minutes, just like they had. And uh, so me and Rob uh, just uh, stood behind the dead with the belts. We had the Southeastern tag belts, and we kind of let him roll. And uh, so Dad sat down there by Les, and uh, he started off by predicting a match the following day. It's going to be similar to the one that they had just watched in the personality profile. So in the first personality profile, they played that entire match. It's about eight and nine, 10, 12 minute match from Memphis. Uh, the one that I'm telling people how to go and find. Mm -hmm. So people had already seen it in this show. And he talked about, you know, that, uh, that the, this, this, this next one, the one we're going to be in tomorrow is going to be even wilder. And he talked about the past experiences he'd had with all three of those guys. Don Carson, Ron Wright, and the assassin <laughs> during his career, you know, and he says, uh, and, uh, and that he, we're going to be looking across the ring at all three of them the next day. And he agreed uh, you know, that, uh, the three of them, uh, what they said early, that somebody is likely to get hurt tomorrow. <laughs> you know, he said, mm. that, you know, they, 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 they laid it out there and uh, they guaranteed it. And he goes, uh, you know, I, I kind of agree with him. Somebody's definitely going to get hurt tomorrow. Probably. Wow. So, and he said, he liked our chances not to be the ones to get hurt. Mm -hmm. and, and he finished <laughs> by saying, uh, you know, and, and this was pretty odd uh, thing to say, but uh, he had done this quite a bit. Uh, he, he, he told us, he said, you know, less, uh, I've broken a few legs in my career, <laughs> you know, and he said, uh, and the two of them standing behind me, meaning me and Rob standing behind him, he said, they know exactly how to do it. <laughs> you know? and, and then he asked Les, he said, uh, you know, Les, have you ever heard of a six-man tag match in which all three of the men on one team got their legs broken? <laughs> God. All three of them. Wow. And the crowd popped. <laughs> I <laughs> bet. Whoa, yeah. they got to break all their legs. <laughs> so then he looked right into the camera and he ended it by saying, you know, all three of you asses over there, <laughs> said, you boys need to think about that. <laughs> all of you getting your leg broke tomorrow, you know. And boy, that's another pop. And uh, basically, man, that TV show was history. Wow. Two six-man tags and a championship match to start the February ratings month. So where else in the country did promoters have TV wrestling shows like that, Ron? That's, wow. <laughs> Very few places, Dave, I can tell you that. Man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, one of the reasons is there were 17 wrestlers and two referees on that card to pay. And, wow. Uh, most you know, most promoters didn't figure that out, man. You know, very few motors, promoters in that day uh, would do that. They, they would not put that many people on the card because they didn't want to pay out that kind of money. Mm -hmm. But I considered it a necessity. I mean, it being that time of year uh, when most territory owners didn't even know it was rating period, much less <laughs> a necessity to have a good show. Mm -hmm. They didn't even know that, hey, they're taking ratings this month, you know. So, uh, you know, and I, I really felt like your TV audience, uh, confirmed by the numbers, man, that were right there in black and white from the Arbitron and the Nielsen books, yeah. they were an extremely convincing measure of the success of your business and also its value. You know, I, I've always, I've never really thought about this, but what did the guys get paid to be on TV versus the 
the big show that was going to be tomorrow? And if so, what what might they make on a TV show like that? TV's never paid a lot of money anywhere you wrestled in the country. Wow. Some people didn't pay you anything for TV. Uh, I paid $40. You know, uh, now we're talking 78. That's a little more yeah. than 40 is it, now. Yeah. You know, yeah. probably that's more like uh, 250 maybe or whatever. But they were also getting tremendous exposure. That's the deal. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. you didn't expect to get paid, uh, you know, because you were you were getting a lot of notoriety from being on yeah. these shows. But, uh, yeah, you know, but you had 17 guys at $40 a pop, 19 people to pay. You've got yeah. a couple of referees that thrown in there, too, you know. A lot of a lot of promoters would have said, oh, man, this is not necessary. You know, mm -hmm. I don't want to spend that extra money. But wow, they didn't realize, first of all, that it was rating period. And then yeah. if they did realize it was rating period, most of them didn't know that, hey, I need to spend some extra money here. I need to give people something great these next four weeks because when these books come out yeah. uh, and you start shoving them books around trying to get on TV stations yeah. and they see that 70 and 80 share, they're going to go, wow, man, this, well, we got to take this show. Yeah. And the thing <laughs> is in other markets in other markets, they didn't have numbers anywhere near that. I can imagine. And oh, so, yeah, yeah. You know, it, <laughs> some were lucky to have a 25 share. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And you're less an 80, you know, but, uh, so, yeah, they weren't accustomed to it. They, yeah. they didn't plan for it. They didn't. Yeah. Uh, they didn't produce the dollars for it, and they didn't get the numbers when the book came in. So um, yeah, and you having three quarters of all the TVs in the entire market tuned into your hour hour and a half show. All right, so I mean, obviously, so you really this this is all work of a businessman, always looking at the bottom line. So and the buildup of the TV show was going to determine the outcome of tomorrow's big Coliseum show. So sure. what, yeah, what did happen in the Coliseum the next day? It had to be, it had to be a big one. Oh, well, man, it, you know, it, it just got, got off to a tremendous start, man. Robert Gibson is just a young guy, but he's really getting cranked and he's in the ring with another young guy that really had a, had a big career uh, ahead of him uh, and kind of blew it. Uh, you know, for himself, but uh, Eddie Mansfield won the match over Robert Gibson, but it was a great match to start out a big event with. Uh, second match was just as good. Tony Charles against a real veteran, Rip Tyler. And uh, uh, Tyler had never worked with a guy from England like Tony Charles. I know, gee, Tony was just, Tony was on the top of his game. I mean, and he obviously beat Rip Tyler, uh, but they did have a great match. So Mike Stallings, he got even with Gorgeous George Jr. for tripping him on TV the day before and uh, got his hand raised. <laughs> uh, Jimmy Golden and Rick Gibson, uh, they got a strong win over David Schultz and Randy Colley as they should. Uh, those two guys are going to Pensacola. Golden and Gibson are a great team, man, and they're going to be strong baby faces for Southeastern Knoxville. Uh, Joel Duke and Roy Lee got the win over Ronnie Garvin and the Hangman, and they got the win pretty easily because Garvin didn't like the way his partner was handling things in the ring, and he just walked out on him like 
Garvin had done on many guys before. He just went to the dressing room and left the hangman in there with both Roy Lee and and, uh, and Joe LaDuke. And uh, Roy beat him with, uh, he used his father's abdominal stretch. Lester Welch was Roy's <laughs> dad, and that was Lester's hold, and that's what Roy won that match with. Uh, Thunderbolt Patterson won by disqualification over the Stomp in the Southeastern title match, but it was DQ'd. He couldn't win the belt. And, uh, you know, he got his hand raised, but he had to be helped from the ring. I mean, you know, he got his hand raised, but, man, he paid the price afterward. Mm. So the main event kind of stole the show, man. Uh, but it left everybody in that Coliseum shocked. Uh, Robert and, and Buddy and my dad and, um, and, and myself, Tennessee Stud, we were declared the winners over Carson the Assassin and Ron Wright. But what happened to Dad? Uh, left the crowd entirely silent and wow, just stunned. Wow. So, I mean, you're not going to leave us wondering about that, right? Like you do sometimes, right? So, no, 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 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the whole speech here, Dave. <laughs> what happened? You know, what did actually, happen? <laughs> actually, it's pretty hard to talk about this match hmm. because of what happened in it. But the match was very similar to the Wild Memphis match, without <sighs> telling people how they can go and see if they'd like to. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one that was shown on the personality profile in the TV the day before, uh, except it was even wilder, man. I mean, uh, all of us fought all over the building. Uh, sometimes in this match, in the course of this match, there weren't any wrestlers in the ring at all. Uh, but the referee didn't stop the match. He allowed the match to continue. So it ended with finally uh, Dad got in the ring with Ron Wright, and he got the fuller leg lock on him. And uh, me and Rob are fighting outside on the floor. Wright gave up. The bell was rung. And, man, the roof came off that Coliseum, man. It was like an, a major explosion from that crowd, man, the crazy crowd that day, and, uh, and a lot of crazy crowds in that Coliseum. Then Larry Cheatham, the same guy who had had his head shaved on Thanksgiving night mm-hmm. in 1977, the, about four months earlier, after a hair match with Robert Fuller, mm-hmm. uh, he was the same guy that got involved in the hair versus hair match three weeks earlier between Robert and Ron Wright, and he caused Rob to lose his hair, had his head shaved after he went in the match. He got his head shaved. It's the same guy who Robert ripped the cartilage in his knee two weeks earlier on TV. After uh, he got involved, he jumped in the ring again with Ron Wright's group, and uh, he wasn't able to get out in time, and I grabbed him, and I gave him to Rob. And Rob uh, put the fuller leg lock on him, and he ripped the cartilage in his knee. So, uh, Larry Cheatham, wow. out of all people, showed up at ringside again. But he's on crutches because, mm. you know, he had just had surgery for the cartilage problem. Yeah. So so my dad was still on his back. Uh, he had the hold on Ron Wright, and his legs were up in the air. And uh, when you put that uh, fuller toe hold on somebody, it your legs are really wrapped around each other, and it's pretty hard to get your own legs out of it. And uh, Wright had already given up. Match was over. Bell had been rung. It's all over. So uh, me and Rob are still out there fighting, man. And some, I believe I was way back uh, behind one of the uh, front, the entire section of ringside. I was a long way away from the ring when all this went down. 
And uh, there's Dad on his back, pretty helpless. And uh, so Cheatham, Larry Cheatham, shows up at ringside, man. And uh, and uh, so he slides a crutch. He's got two crutches. And he slides one of them into the ring. And then he just slid on his belly into the ring after it. Used the crutch to get up on his feet. Now, Dad's still laying there on his back. Uh, he can't get his legs out. And uh, and then he raises that crutch up, ahead, up above his head. And he slams it right across my dad's forehead. Whoa. Wooden crutch. Wow. wow. It's like. Geez, uh, hard enough to snap dad's dad's head back. Looked like you know it could have hurt his neck for one thing. Yeah. But he also opened up a pretty good gash on his head, man, and it knocked him out. God. So so he's laying there bleeding, and uh, so the crowd went from cheering, man, and celebrating the victory to sudden silence. I mean, you you could hear a pin drop in that building. Everybody's like, wow. Did that really happen? You know, so Rob and I saw it and we went back to the ring. And about that time, uh, Assassin and Carson got a hold of Ron Wright and they dragged him out of the ring. And uh, Larry Cheatham on his crutches kind of hobbled along beside him. And, uh, and the crowd exploded again this mm. time, man. But this time, man, they exploded with anger. It was hatred, man. And uh, they saw him headed back toward the black curtain and the crowd cut them off. I mean, so many people uh, just ran from the ringside sections on the floor and blocked their entrance to where they go back to go through the black curtain to get to the back of the Coliseum. Uh, uh, yeah. And the police had gathered around them because they, they saw the situation and they were mobbed by fans and they took them through that alternate side route. There was an indent an entrance door into the side coliseum, right straight into their dressing room. Police knew where it was. Mm. We didn't use it unless they had to. But this was a situation where they had to. Yeah. Fans were all over them, and they disappeared into that dressing room. Wow. That, I mean, what an awful thing to happen to your dad. This entire scene, I mean, for you and Rob, did you know immediately that, that this wasn't supposed to? What was it like? Well, obviously it was, uh, you know, it was scary, you know, yeah, and yeah. and you don't expect anything to be that bad or, or you wouldn't do it. You wouldn't sit there and say, this is what we want to do. Right. You know, right. And, but sometimes things didn't go as you had planned. Yeah. And, uh, and sometimes people really got hurt. Yeah. <laughs> and wrestling. And, you know, and the crowd was just as concerned as we were. In fact, they came to the ring and from all over the building. A mass of bodies, man, uh, back uh, 50 feet away from the ring. There was just, uh, it was all bodies. Hmm. And uh, they surrounded the ring. And then, and it looked like about a third of the Coliseum floor was just filled with people. Wow. They were just, they wanted to get close. They wanted to see for themselves. And uh, so the first people that came to the ring was the Coliseum first aid crew. And uh, they got the bleeding stopped, but they couldn't get dead back conscious again wow. he was still out yeah so i told him to call an ambulance and uh before it arrived he regained his consciousness but but i knew he probably had a concussion you get uh -huh. knocked out and you're out for five seven eight minutes yeah uh you 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 got a problem and, you know and uh so i knew he had a concussion at the very least so the ambulance crew uh once they arrived uh, they stretched him out through the big black curtain on the Coliseum main floor. 
And at least half that crowd was still there. And that was probably 20 minutes after the end of the match. Half of that building was still full. People just stood and watched like, wow, what the heck, man? This is terrible. So uh, Rob and I went back to the dressing room, took a quick shower, and we went to the hospital. And uh, they had already sewed him up. He had 16 stitches. God. And, uh, you know. And he was kept overnight, obviously, for concussion protocol. And uh, you know they want to keep an eye on you when you get a, when you're knocked out that long. They don't want you going anywhere, and they want to, they want to, they they really keep a sharp, sharp eye on you. So uh, well, it was a, uh, it was not a good afternoon. Well, I, I want to ask about attendance, but uh, but I want to ask, and maybe you want to hold this for a stud, a future stud story. So how did you and Rob feel? I mean. Because was was Larry Cheatham, as he was called, was he that new at this? It was he was supposed to hit your dad across the chest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you but know, so, uh, but yeah, and he he wasn't he was new. Yeah, he he didn't wrestled probably uh, so twenty matches. He yeah, was trained by Ron Wright, but he'd never had many matches. He somehow got on that Thanksgiving card uh, with and putting his hair up against yeah. Rob. And uh, probably Ron Wright wanted to get him into a big time match and right. you know uh, make him feel like a star. So and, uh, so he lost his hair. He got his head shaved that yeah. day for it. And uh, you know and basically he was going to hit him across the chest with that wooden crutch. So and he missed by about a foot. Yeah. So this guy with not much experience. So were you guys kind of ticked off by that? And I don't know if you oh, want to talk yeah, about this man, now. Yeah, how yeah. does this guy, how does this guy, how is he the one that's uh, wielding a crutch and he accidentally just bashes your dad in the head? Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, of course. You know, I mean, uh, you want to go to the other dressing room and take care of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, but uh, you, you, you can't. You can't, so uh, yeah. You know, you you well, live with it. So I, uh, I, you know, I guess. I it mean, was a, it was a wild affair. Uh, it had a terrible ending to it. Uh, but wow, it's going to leave. It's yeah. going to leave. Uh, what's going on between us and that tag team combination, Ron Wright and uh, Carson and the Assassin? It's going to take it to another level, man. All right, so I want to ask about attendance, and then, I mean, the fans really had to be at another level on this. How did you do on attendance, though? Well, attendance was uh, darn near 6,000 again, 5,875. Wow, okay. Uh, which is, okay. Uh, you know, it's it's a, it's a, basically a sellout. Yeah. You, you know, when you look up there, you don't see any empty seats. And the fans you know, just going it's, crazy it's probably let's say uh it's it, that was probably about uh, 450 short of the all-time record of 63 wow wow so, so uh yeah it's it's a big crowd it's a big crowd and so the fans i mean literally another level with the fans yeah yes yeah, yeah you know the fans after seeing this you know it took this this uh, this thing that was going on between Rob and, and uh, Ron Wright and having lost his hair and and then uh, you know uh, all the things that had, had taken place after that and it just it just it got to a Caesar a, a fever pitch I guess is a good yeah. way of putting yeah. it man yeah you know, and to a level I, it was unexpected never expected to see that kind of hatred for these guys 
uh, in this particular deal. But uh, that's part of the next studcast, man. And I'm pretty yeah. sure uh, we're probably getting pretty close to out of time today. <laughs> and I want to, well, I want, I want to, I want to answer that learning tree question. I really like that learning tree question. All right, this is. I mean, this is. Uh, I hate. I can't believe we're near the end like we are. But uh, we're we're running longer. We're not going to skip this. That's for sure. Okay, so that's what we'll do right now. A gentleman on Twitter. His name is Saul. We'll call him Saul. He says, when making presentations to TV stations or other media, did you get questions that forced you to break kayfabe, meaning having to let them know that you were not just a wrestler, but also an owner, something that you have said you wanted to hide? So how'd you handle that? Well, so, you know, like I said, I, I think it's a very good question. Uh, I mean, uh, first of all, uh, let's just start with the uh, uh, TV, and uh, that's the only media that uh, that I ever met with uh, as a owner of a company, you know, uh, and uh, and you met with uh, usually they're not not just the manager, the general manager, the sales manager, uh, the, uh, all the managers, basically. Uh, but it was the most important meeting that you probably ever had in the wrestling business was with television stations. And, uh, and I was lucky. I had Roy Lee Welch, my cousin, who's wrestled on this card that we talked about today. He's going to southeastern Pensacola. And part of his job down there as a part owner is going to be to handle a lot of this stuff other than televisions. Everything, as a matter of fact. I'm not going to, my face isn't going to be uh, seen anywhere when it comes to the ownership or any of that, uh, except for television stations. So uh, radio and newspaper advertising is going to be handled by Roy. The building is going to be handled by Roy. Any other entities that concern the ownership of the company was going to be handled by Roy. Now, he was an occasionally a wrestler when we went there because you needed him sometimes, but he wasn't a high-profile wrestler like I was. He was, uh, you know, first match. Uh, you know, he, he was not uh, very recognizable. Many people probably, uh, probably didn't even know he was a wrestler. So, you know, he was the perfect guy to handle that, Saul. So, you know, it wasn't me that's going to be doing that. So TV stations were basically the most important media that we dealt with in, in the wrestling business, you know. Those meetings never had more than, say, 10 people in it. Uh, just the management employees were there. And I actually, during all my TV uh, meetings that I've had, uh, I never had anybody ask me a question concerning my status in the company. Like, uh, do you own this? Or, or you know, what, what do you, what's your part of this? Or, or, you know, nobody ever asked a question like that. So, and if I'd have been asked that kind of question, I believe, uh, you know, I, I would have been honest about it. And, uh, you know, many athletes in football, basketball, all types of sports, after their careers go over, mm -hmm. they, come, they become owners of franchises. Teams, you know, and that fact was pretty much common knowledge. So, you know, it made some sense that, uh, that you know, that I would probably have been all right if I'd have said, yeah, I own part of this, you know. But uh, I tell you, my father dealt with this, and I think this is a pretty good story in itself. My father dealt with this same issue uh, because he went to many different territories, the places that were down in the country and didn't draw. And uh, 
and he went and, and turned them around, to, gosh, made them the biggest, made wrestling the biggest sports in a lot of these cities that we went to when I was growing up as a kid. And he dealt with the issue in a totally different way uh, when he was a promoter and owner of the company. He always went into these new territories as just the promoter first, you know, and not a wrestler at all. And that way he could go around and take care of all the business that he needed to take care of, setting up the TV, setting up the buildings, setting up the radios, uh, uh, the newspaper, uh, the whole deal, you know, and he could take his time and he could set it all up and he'd tell everybody I own the company. And uh, then later, uh, what would happen is, is he'd have a problem with one of the wrestlers. He's recognized by everybody in town as the owner of the company. Mm -hmm. And obviously the wrestlers know he's the owner of the company. So uh, usually he'd have a heel that didn't like the way he was being treated by the promoter, Buddy Fuller, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that heel would get really upset about it. And it continue on and until, uh, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd end up challenging dad. They want you get in the ring, you know. <laughs> You know, you know, so uh, dad then would say, well, you know, uh, I, I got a little little background there, too. So, yeah, uh, why don't we? So and he drew some of the some huge crowds doing his business that way, starting off as the promoter and then ending up in a real big angle with the hottest heel in the territory. And uh, one of those big crowds was in that. WKRG TV station, and we talked about a Mobile, Alabama, was in Mobile, Alabama, <laughs> in Loudoun Memorial Football Stadium uh, in 1958. I have almost 40,000 fans Whoa. to watch my dad against Mario Galento. Yeah, yeah. I've heard you tell that one. Wow, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so I hope that answers your question, Saul. Uh, <laughs> fans that want to ask the learning tree questions, you know, and I had a lot of these learning tree questions, and I've I run out of them sometimes. So, you know, I want to announce today. I want to make sure that fans know out there that if you want to ask a learning tree question, you can contact me. The way I want to do it this time is on Facebook and Twitter. Mm -hmm. And uh, and Dave, uh, I'm going to let you give out the information. And uh, you know you've got it here on, uh, on the way I'm going to do that. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, Stud, that's what we can do right now on Facebook. It goes like this. Ron will soon be making a post for your questions on the Ron Fuller Tennessee stud page only. It is the only one of his three Facebook pages where you'll find this post. If you're not already his friend on that page, please like and follow him there. You will automatically become friends and find the learning tree question posted there. Please do not friend request the stud on the Ron Fuller Welch Facebook page. It has a maximum of 5,000 and has been full for years. To become friends with him on Facebook, simply go to either his Ron Fuller, the Tennessee Stud page or the Ron Fuller Welch author page. Like and follow him there. You automatically become friends with a legend that way. On Twitter, follow him on Ron Fuller Welch and look for the learning tree question post there also. YouTube Southeastern Rewind is where you find everything Ron Fuller Welch plus Southeastern, Continental, and USA TV wrestling shows. 
Don't miss the new Studcast every Wednesday, the new Continental TV show every Thursday, the new Southeastern classic films never before seen on YouTube every Sunday, and new Stud stories every Tuesday. Subscribe now, ring the bell icon, and you have found the fastest growing old school YouTube channel anywhere. Every time something new is added to the channel, we will ring your bell. Find everything on the website at tnstud.com. That's tnstud.com. Studcast, Super Studcast, Historic Videos, Photo Gallery, His Stud Store with Souvenirs of All Kinds, Autographed Photos, Tremendous Continental DVD Wrestling 5-Packs, T-Shirts, Tennessee Stud Mask, and His Chilling Novel, Brutish. You can find it all at tnstud.com. That's tnstud.com. You can spend a while there. All right, Stud, where are we riding to next week? Well, we're going to go another day's training. We're going to go back down there to Pensacola, southeastern there. And we're going to, uh, we're about three weeks away, man, from opening up southeastern Pensacola with the very first match being in Dothan, Alabama on March 3rd, 1978. So we're getting very close to opening up that second territory. Uh, next week, we're also going to talk about the fantastic card for Sunday, February 12, 1978. And after what happened, man, on this week's card, there's going to be some real fireworks on next week's TV show and on the next studcast. Uh, there's going to be another mystery partner that's going to come join the stud and Robert Fuller. And I think this one's going to surprise everybody, man. Uh, so the TV for that show and the results of that card and the attendance are going to be on that on the next studcast. And we're also going to talk about, Dave, I haven't mentioned it very much, is the world champion Harley Race is coming to town, and he's only two weeks away at mm -hmm. this point. So on next week's card, besides that six-man tag with a mystery partner, there's going to be a Southeastern Championship match, a return match between Thunderbolt and the Mongolian Stomper. And then there's going to be a one-night tournament. And this one-night tournament in this next studcast is going to be absolutely unreal. It's going to have a former world champion wrestling in it. Ricky Gibson is going to wrestle against Pat O'Connor, who is going to be at this point late in his career trying to get a match with the world heavyweight champion, Harley Race, to maybe win that belt one more time. Uh, also on that card is going to be another world champion. Uh, Nelson Royal is going to be wrestling against his nemesis, uh, Tony Charles. And, uh, and Nelson Royal wants a shot at Harley Race and a chance to win not just the world junior title, but to win the world heavyweight championship champion. Idol. Uh, Joe LaDuke is going to be wrestling against the Hangman, and Ronnie Garvin is going to wrestle against Jimmy Golden. All first-round matches in a one-night tournament. Going to be a big, big card, and Roy Lee Welch going to be against David Schultz in an opening match. So uh, it's going to be a great, great uh, studcast next week. Got a whole lot of stuff in it. And we're obviously going to have a new learning tree question. Hopefully, maybe come with someone that uh, sends me uh, the proper question. You get on there next week, and uh, we'll be answering that next week. All right. I just want to thank everybody out there for joining us, and don't forget to tell your friends about us. And take care of yourselves and others, and may God bless us all.
For Ron Fuller in the Great Smoky Mountains, I'm David Summers saying thank you for listening. Find me at davidsummersproductions at gmail.com. This studcast is a David Summers production for Tennessee Stud, LLC. Thanks for joining us today for this historic studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.